Well, today uh, is a super special day at Grace Fellowship. We're super excited about all that's going on. Right after this service is over, before the next service starts, we're gonna bolt to the back patio where there's a whole bunch of people waiting to get baptized and declare the mighty power of Christ in their lives. There's a number of people who are gonna be joining the church as new members of our church family. There's children who are gonna be dedicated to the Lord today. It's all just a part of this big celebration as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate together as worshipers, and we celebrate uh, together baptism and child dedication and membership. And I thought it would be okay today for us under those circumstances to take a little break from our picture of the life of David and for us to think a little bit about um, a particular word, and I want to invite you to open to the book of Luke, which is in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And I want you to go to Luke 22, and we're, we're gonna go to that very time that we talked about earlier, where they're gathered in the upper room, and they've shared in the supper, and now he breaks the bread, and he distributes the wine, and I, I just want you to watch the story unfold For just a moment, it says in verse 19, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. There's a strange word in there. It's a word we don't use very much in our culture and our society anymore. The word is covenant. And I thought it would be helpful for us since that word is so essential to the meaning of this passage and the Lord's Supper and all that it means to us. I thought it might be helpful for us to just take a look at this, at this biblical word which is just pregnant with meaning for us. The, the word covenant basically means a sacred agreement, a sacred agreement between two or more parties who are devoted toward striving together toward the same goal. They, they enter into a companionship together. They, they link arms. They they make a sacred vow to one another. And, and we, don't, we don't really see that in our society. It's, it's more than a covenant. I mean, it's more than a commitment, it's a covenant. And, and you know, we sign contracts, and they're binding, but they're only binding in so much as if you break it, there's a penalty. But, in scripture, they talk about these covenants, these, these um, sacred oaths. And this is not the first time that God would enter into a covenant with his people. He entered into a covenant all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis with Noah during the time of the flood when he promised that he would never again destroy the world with a flood. And he gave the rainbow as a sign and a reminder of that promise. For Noah's part, he would worship God alone. He would teach his offspring 
to love and worship God alone. And, and he would obey God. And God promised never to destroy the earth. Shortly after the boat hit land, Noah broke his part of the covenant. To this day, God has never broken his because God is faithful. When God called Abraham back in Genesis 12, he called him and he said, I want you to trust me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to follow me and I want you to obey me and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless your descendants and through your descendants, I will bless the whole earth. And Abraham broke that covenant along with his offspring, but God never broke that covenant because God is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. And, and God made a covenant with David. He, he said to David that he would honor him by making sure that his kingdom continued that his offspring would sit on the throne and that forever and ever and ever one who was in his line would reign as the king of kings and the lord of lords. David was an incredibly flawed individual who was constantly breaking promises to God. But God has never broken a promise. He's faithful, he keeps his covenant. You see, the scripture says that our God is a covenant-keeping God. So when those 13 men sat around that table and shared in that supper together, they had been through so much together. They had already seen the miraculous again and again and again and again. They had heard the words of Jesus consistently teaching everywhere he went from town to town. They had watched him heal. They had had private personal times alone with him where they could ask their questions, cry on his shoulder, be comforted by him as a good shepherd. They had walked with him consistently for all of that time. And yet, they were still completely clueless as to what he meant on that day when he said, there's going to be a new covenant in my blood. A new covenant, different than the ones in the Old Testament. Different in this way, at least, that there was no responsibility on our part to do any work to keep the covenant intact. He said, this is a covenant of grace and not of works. This is a covenant in which it doesn't depend on you to keep your end of the bargain. This is a covenant where it doesn't depend upon you to keep up your side of things, to be good, to be honorable, to be faithful. You see, God had watched people be unfaithful all along, and the scripture says that even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful, because his faithfulness is not an option, it's who he is. He's the definition of faithfulness. He is unable to lie even if he wanted to and he doesn't want to. 
He's unable to forget what he promised because he is all-knowing. He is unable to be um, thwarted because he's all-powerful. So when God says, I am, I will, I shall, it's going to come to pass. God is faithful, and he always, always, always keeps his covenant. So he sits at the table with them, and he talks to them about this new covenant. And he gives them a symbol. He, he says, this bread is, is a symbol of my body. It's gonna be given for you. Now take and eat it. They had no idea what he was talking about. Not a clue. But they ate the bread because he's the master and you do what he says. He poured the wine. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And they had not a clue what he was talking about. But they drank the wine because he's the master and you do what he says. But over the next 24 hours, everything would unfold before their eyes. And they would watch God keep the promises he had made all the way back to Noah. The promises he had made all the way back to Adam and Eve. Promises that he had made to Abraham, promises he had made to Moses, promises he had made to the people through Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel, that he would keep his promise. It was unfolding right before their eyes and they had no idea. He was unfolding a new covenant, a covenant completely of grace. And it would be accomplished. It'd be accomplished on that cross at Calvary. It would be accomplished as he willingly chose to lay down his life. I don't know how often we think of this, but he wasn't overpowered by guards with weapons. He gave himself for us. He has all power. He could have stopped what was happening to him that day. But he endured the, tur the torture, he endured the mocking, he endured the beatings, he endured the false trials, he endured the, endured the people spitting on him and throwing things at him as he came through the streets, he endured the spikes being hammered through his hands and through his feet, he endured the people laughing at him while he hung naked and bloody on a cross before their eyes. He endured as the, as the soldiers separated his garments and spread them out amongst one another, gambling for them and laughing about it. He endured as the Pharisees mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, come down off the cross. If you're the son of God, prove that you're the son of God by just coming off the cross. We'll believe you then. But what they didn't understand is that he proved he was the son of God by not coming off the cross. It was by his powerful love that he stayed and paid the price and kept the covenant through the shedding of his own blood. The bread and the juice are not the covenant. They're just reminders of the covenant. They're, they're just symbols 
that keep the wonderful truth of that grace covenant before our eyes as we partake again and again. I wear this ring on my left hand. It means that I'm married, which is very disappointing to women everywhere. (laughs) Particularly to my wife, but that's another story. But I I wear this ring um, on my wedding day, my wife slipped this ring on my finger. She made a vow to me. And I put a ring on her finger and I made a vow to her. It was a covenant that we entered into. But a few years ago, um, I had to undergo open heart surgery. And um, when I went in, They said, oh, you have to take off your watch and your ring, and my ring had never been off. There was rolls of fat growing around my ring. (laughs) It wasn't coming off. They cut it off of me in the hospital that day. And for the first time in decades, my my finger didn't have that ring. Was I not married then? of course I was married. It was just the symbol that was missing. And so very quickly afterwards, my wife bought me a new ring. (laughs) And I continued to have this symbol on my hands. But the symbol, it's precious to me. It's truly, truly significant to me. It's very meaningful to me. Every time I look at the ring, I am reminded of that covenant but the ring is not the covenant. It's the same when we take the Lord's Supper. It's easy to confuse and and realize that it's sacred, but it's not the covenant. It's just a symbol. The same is, is true, for example, with baptism. Baptism is another symbol like that. People have sometimes gotten it confused and thought, well, baptism is how you get into heaven. No, the scripture tells us that it is by faith and faith alone that we enter into eternal life through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The baptism is what we do as a symbol of that faith. It's as an outward expression of what's happened on the inside. That's why we baptize. That's why we get baptized. And baptism is still sacred. It's still special. It's still incredibly meaningful, but it is not salvation. It's not the covenant itself. It's a symbol of the covenant. Just as eating the bread and drinking the juice is a symbol of our identification with the work of of Christ on the cross, baptism is a symbol of our identification with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that because of his work and giving us the faith to believe that as we exercise that faith, we are raised from death into life. We are, as Jesus said, born again spiritually. It's a symbol of having been born again. It's not the experience of having been born again. That's why it has no significance for someone to go through the process of, of taking the bread and the juice who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just a religious activity. It doesn't have 
any true significance. Just like if you're not married and you just slip a ring on your left ring finger, it doesn't make you married. And, and by the same token, it's why um, baptism has no significance for someone who has not yet already personally entered into their own relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are many traditions in which children are baptized, babies are baptized, and all of that, and all of that has significance to the parents, to the adults, to the church members, to the people who are there, and they recognize it as something important, but what it is not is the same as the sacrament of baptism which has been given to us and which has been um, exemplified for us in Jesus Christ himself. It is something that you do because you have that saving relationship with him. That's why we give it such significance. That's why we pay such attention. That's why we have a big celebration when somebody goes into the baptismal Waters. The Bible calls us to be baptized as a public dedication, as a public declaration, if you will, of the fact that we already have that saving relationship with Jesus. The baptism doesn't give you that relationship. The baptism is a celebration and a symbol that that relationship already exists. It's a picture of his new covenant of grace. It's for the same symbolic reason that we enter into a covenant as members of the local church. And, and this is not something, this part is not something that the Bible prescribes. The Lord's Supper, we are told to continuously do this until he returns and to remember him every time we do it. Baptism, we are told that when we enter into a faith relationship with God, we follow in the waters of baptism as a symbol of that faith. We do it because the scripture tells us to do it. Church membership is a modern thing. It's a good thing. It's an important thing. It's a symbolic thing. But it's not something that the scripture says, here's how you do membership in a local congregation. In fact, if you had gone back into the first century Jerusalem and talked to them about membership in the church, they would have had no idea that there's somebody who keeps a list of those who are the members and knows the ones who are not. They would have no concept of the idea that in some churches you must become a member in order to serve in various capacities or ways or that you must become a member in order to vote on some decision that the congregation is making or you must become a member for some other reason. Their idea was that if you're in Christ, you're a member. And, and today, it's more of an um, opportunity for us to actually enter into another covenant. And at Grace Fellowship, I can't speak for other churches, but at Grace Fellowship, the reason we have membership is not to give anybody special privileges. It's not to determine who's on the outs and who's on the ins. It's simply as a way of saying, hey guys, we're all in this together. We're entering into a covenant together. We're gonna be in relationship together. We're gonna love each other. We're gonna serve each other. We're gonna link arms and walk together in the mission that God has given to us. It's another entrance into a covenant. And it's, it's neither essential to your salvation nor prescribed in scripture that it be done a certain way. God gives us the freedom to do it in however way that we want to. But I will say this. Think of it more 
less, less like an administrative responsibility of names on a list and more like a joining of hearts in relationship. The way I, I always picture this is a wedding. One of the cool things about being a pastor is you get to do weddings. And um, they generally serve cake at weddings, so I'm for it. <laughs> and um, when I do a wedding, I always talk about this covenant idea because a wedding is about the only other place outside of the local church congregation where we actually see covenants enacted, where people take vows. This is not a handshake. It's not a signature on the bottom of a contract. This is looking deep into one another's eyes and promising before God and holding those vows as sacred. It's a covenant, right? It's the same thing at Grace Fellowship when we receive new members. You'll see this if you join us on the patio. We're gonna receive some new members today. We'll enter into a covenant together. Uh, we will ask those people who are becoming new members whether or not they are committing their lives to walking together as a part of this church family and following the word of God and traveling together in the mission of this church. And then we will ask everyone else who's a member of the church if they will commit to loving these people, to praying for these people, to including these people, to walking with these people, supporting, encouraging, weeping, and laughing with these people. It's a covenant that we enter into, and it's important. So whether we eat the bread or drink the wine, whether we enter into water baptism, whether, whether we bring our children as, a, as a, a part of a public gathering of the church and we dedicate those children publicly to the Lord, and we agree as a church body that we will love and serve and care for these children and their parents, or whether we're joining the church as a member, I want us to have in our minds this picture of a sacred vow, a covenant that we take together and that we take very, very seriously. Understanding that we're not accomplishing anything in doing that. We are acknowledging what he has already accomplished in us and for us and through us. He has brought us right standing with the Father in a way that only he possibly could. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If there was another way, I would tell you. If there was another way, he would have told us. If there was another way, he would have never had to come in the first place. But everything we can do on our own strength, everything we can do on our own power, everything we can do with our own wisdom and knowledge and understanding falls woefully short of what he had to do for us and what he willingly did for us. So, so today, we're gonna see a bunch of these covenants enacted. We, we already did it with the bread and the juice. We're gonna be on the patio in just a few minutes. We're gonna see people in the waters of baptism telling us that Jesus Christ has saved them from their sin, become their Lord and Savior, filled them with the Holy Spirit and set them free. And we're gonna watch them go under the water as a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection into new life. 
that just as he is risen, we will be risen with him. We're going to, we're going to stand with parents who dedicate their children to the Lord, who say, we're gonna raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to love this child with the love of Jesus. We're going to train up this child in the way he should go, and we as the body of Christ, as their church family, are going to say, amen, we're in this with you. We're not accomplishing that child's raising. We're not accomplishing that child's spiritual growth or salvation. We're simply joining together in this symbolic covenant. As we, as we make vows to one another as members of the church and we say we will be in this together, we're not accomplishing anything. We're acknowledging what he has already accomplished. So we're simply celebrating that we are recipients of his amazing grace. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we join together corporately and sing songs of praise to him together. Some of us have terrible singing voices. You know who you are, or at least you know who the person behind you is. Some of us couldn't play an instrument if you tied it to our hands. Some of us not musically inclined at all. And yet the scripture says, come together as the people of God and sing to the Lord a new song and praise God, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. (laughs) So corporately, we worship him in song. Corporately, we pray together. Now, of course, you can sing songs of praise to God on your own as you're driving down the 210. Of course, you can pray in your prayer closet all by yourself where no one knows who you are, what you're doing, or what you're saying except the God who hears your prayers. And he, he asks you to do that. But he also invites us to do those things corporately. It's part of our symbol of locking arms and saying, hey, we're, we're worshipers of God, not just as individuals, but as a church family. And corporately, we gather to witness water baptism. Corporately, we enter into a covenant of church membership. Corporately, we commit along with parents to raising up children the way they should go. Because God did not create us to live independently. He created us to live interdependently. And so here we are living out the new covenant. It's an incredible privilege. It's all a celebration of the amazing grace of God. And because of the grace of our covenant-keeping God, we have so much to celebrate today and every day. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to spill out onto the back patio and celebrate as only the family of God can do. Let's stand and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of you. 
We stand as those who are unable to save ourselves, but recipients of your grace for salvation. We stand as those who really don't fully understand what the bread means and what the juice is all about, but as recipients of the grace that they represent. We stand together corporately as a family of God, recognizing that you alone are God, you alone are able, and you alone are faithful. And so despite our own weaknesses and our unfaithfulness, we give glory to you, Heavenly Father, who is ever, ever faithful. And now we celebrate together as we watch people enter into the baptismal waters to give you all the glory. As as we enter into new covenants of membership as a church family, as we dedicate children to the Lord, we give all of this to you because Lord, all of them are yours. All of us are yours. You have bought us with the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.